It's Sunday morning. Time for the Great Outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Good morning. Welcome to the Great Outdoors show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. Thank you so much for being with me this morning. As I promised you last week, I'll be doing this show from location on the coast of Maine, which I've been doing for a long time this time of the year. And there are always stories from the East Coast that I think are relevant to all of you listening in the Midwest, as well as wherever you might be this morning. And I know so many of you podcast the show. So wherever you might be, I'm going to start off at least talking about life in New England. And life in New England and life in Maine starts with lobsters. You cannot have a conversation on the coast of Maine without someone bringing up lobster. We call them lobsters. They call them lobsters. Anyway, what's happening is hard to believe lobsters are moving north hundreds of miles. There is no question that the Atlantic Ocean from basically from Maryland up through Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, has definitely been warming over many, many years. It's not dramatic, a couple degrees. And that could be a simple shift in the Gulf Stream. Nobody quite knows why. But lobsters, believe it or not, can crawl their way over time hundreds of miles, and they have. So the lobstering business in Massachusetts it has just virtually died. In Rhode Island, it pretty much is dead. Southern Maine was one of the epicenters for the lobstering industry for the past 100 years. It began to dwindle about 25 years ago, began to begin dwindling. And today, the southern coast of Maine is just a tiny portion of what it was for the lobster industry. And, and lobsters are the official... Uh, Official uh, crustacean for uh, for Maine. They're the symbol of Maine. They're on the they're on license plates everywhere you go. Maine lobster, <clears throat> a little bit like Idaho and potatoes. Maine and lobster, Wisconsin and cheese, same thing. The brand is Maine lobster. So, a good day in southern Maine twenty years ago would have been a lobsterman would have probably gotten somewhere in the neighborhood of trapped six hundred pounds of lobster. Today. They're lucky if they trap 200 pounds of lobster. And the peak areas, which were up around Camden and what's kind of known as the central coast down east, because, as you know, Maine runs basically east. It doesn't run north. The coast runs pretty much east. Uh, Camden area, that was the always the, the pinnacle of lobsters. 1,000 pounds a day for a lobster man in the Camden area, Booth Bay, was 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 very normal. Today, those areas are where Southern Maine used to be in the five to six hundred pound areas per day. Meanwhile, in Nova Scotia, where lobstering was never big business, thousand pounds a day are being caught by lobstermen. So the industry is, in a way, it's possible that Maine, known forever for its Lobsters, since they began branding Maine as the lobster capital of the world, 
the lobsters might literally walk their way right out of Maine into Canada. And, and Nova Scotia is doing huge business now in, in the lobster industry, lots of uh, refineries, not refineries, but lots of, lots of fisheries, canneries, uh, processing plants in Canada. Um, and Maine's future with lobsters is, is frankly very uncertain. And the irony is when Maine was first colonized and settled and for the first hundred years, lobsters were so abundant that they didn't have to trap them in the ocean. They just picked them up on the beaches with the tides. They crawled all over the place. And there actually was a, I mentioned this a few years ago, because I, I still can't believe it's true. There's a law in Maine that says you cannot feed lobsters to inmates because they had prison riots hundred more hundred or so years ago. And the prison riots were over the fact that the prisoners were protesting and rioting that they had to eat lobster every single day. We think of lobster as a delicacy, but it was so common in Maine that that's, that's what they fed, fed the prisons and the price of lobster. Interestingly, I can go uh, as I did yesterday I can go and meet a lobsterman when he's coming in from the ocean with his traps, and I can meet him on the dock, and I can pay him just over uh, just over eight dollars a pound for that lobster. So I get a whole lobster. Let's say it's a pound and a half lobster. That lobster is going to cost me twelve dollars. That's the entire thing. If you go to a restaurant and try to buy a lobster, it always says market price, and it's generally the most expensive thing on the menu. It's $50, $60, for a lobster in a restaurant. Meanwhile, on the dock here, it's $8. Lobster is less expensive than chicken, and it's a lot less expensive than beef. So I don't know what the future is. I, I talk to a fair number of people in the industry, but generally, I think people feel in 25 years, if this trend continues, Maine will be out of the lobster business, and it will have lobsters will literally have walked their way into Nova Scotia and further on up towards Labrador. This is assuming that the ocean continues to warm. If the Gulf Stream moves a few miles, that could be what it is. Temperatures could drop again, and the lobsters might just decide that they're going to come right back to where they've been for millennia. And also, we don't know. Uh, we don't have the historical data to know, is what we're seeing on the coast of Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and Maine, is what we're seeing something that's played out before. Did it, did it play out 1,000 years ago or 1,500 years ago? We don't, we don't have that information. But what we know is that in real time, the waters on the East Coast are warming and lobsters are moving north with them. And lobsters aren't the only species that are definitely being uh, changing their lifestyle uh, where they live. You, you certainly have heard on the news about the number of shark attacks off Long Island and Rhode Island and Connecticut. That, that's an occurrence also of a warming ocean in this part of the world. But there's something else at play there. Sharks follow fish. And when the bait fish come in, the bigger fish follow, and the biggest fish of all, sharks follow them. So there has been quite a resurgence on the east coast of New England and, and down in the Rhode Island um, of smaller striped bass and bluefish. 
And, and those fish are chasing huge schools of Manhattan, mackerel, and other, other bait fish. So just like anywhere, the food chain and, and mammals is the same thing. You know, the, the predators are going to follow the prey, and, and, and everything becomes a prey until you get to the top of the food chain. And that's what's happening here on the Atlantic. There are more shark sightings because there are more fish in the water. Are there more sharks? Uh, I'm not sure that anyone knows the answer to that, <clears throat> but there are definitely more sharks interacting in areas where where people are swimming and surfing and, and doing those things, and it could very well be because that's where the fish are. Sharks wouldn't be there if there weren't fish around to eat. So that's, that is, it simply goes hand in hand, and we listen to so many media reports, and they very seldom say, well, why are the sharks here? The sharks are there because there's food, and the food's not humans. The food is day in and day out, 24-7. It's fish, and the sharks, fish in the summer migrate north, and in the winter they migrate south, and the sharks migrate with them, and it is absolutely no different for sharks than it is about bald eagles or golden eagles or any birds of prey. And I, I talked about this uh, often uh, in the winter, how eagles follow migratory birds, and they follow them south as they fly south in the winter, and they follow them north, particularly waterfowl, and they follow them north um, in the spring. Same thing is happening here on the coast of New England. Uh, the striped bass fishing, uh, once again, it appears that fish are smaller. I mentioned last week that there's a lot going on with Alaska, and they don't understand why, and Vancouver Island was smaller Chinook salmon. Striped bass are smaller, too. And they don't think it's because of food. They think it's because of harvest pressure. But again, we know so little about, we know so little about fish species. We, we know more about ducks and geese than we do virtually any, any animal or fish species in existence because it's just where the money's gone because of the interest, etc. We know very little about striped bass, bluefish, sharks. We're learning. But we don't really understand. But what the one thing every fisherman on the East Coast tells you is they're not as many and they're smaller. I'll be back in just a moment with much more on the great outdoors. And when I do, I'm going to talk a little about falconry. It's an amazing, um, an amazing thing that's happening to get seagulls away from uh, piers and beaches and boardwalks. We might want to try it in Lake Michigan around Chicago. This is Charlie Potter in the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN. And first, a message from our longtime sponsors, the Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland Chevrolet dealers. In the field, hunters need to be alert, sense the environment around them and know exactly where they are, communicate seamlessly with their dogs. And when it comes to pickup trucks, you want the same qualities. The all-new Chevy Silverado comes with an available 4G Wi-Fi hotspot for seamless communication. It's designed to handle the toughest loads with advanced trailering technology, tough on the road and off. And the all-new design gives you more cargo space than the competition. Chevy Silverado is the most dependable, longest-lasting, full-size pickup on the road. Plus, there's never been a better time to see your local Chevy dealer about the Big Fix lease. It's an amazing lease deal that can lower your monthly payments and give you more Chevy, all for less money. That's a treasure hunt. 
So head to your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and see why Chevy is the number one best-selling brand in Chicagoland, now eight years running. It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. Thanks so much for joining me this morning and hope you're enjoyed the conversation I had describing a bit what's going on on the East Coast and New England and fisheries and water. And I want to stay with the subject of New England for a second because they're doing something here that uh, and I am on location this Sunday. I'll be back in wonderful Chicago next Sunday for a great outdoor show. But this morning I'm on the East Coast in Maine where the weather often is foggy and windy and rainy. Weather's beautiful. What's not beautiful are the number of seagulls that have taken up residence on boardwalks, on beaches, and we have this problem in Lake Michigan, and they foul our beaches unbelievably all over the Great Lakes. Well, they do the same thing here in the Atlantic Ocean. However, interestingly, falconry is alive and well and is a profession making a comeback in many areas of the East Coast where they have problems with seagulls. And it's, it's so simple, and yet we have to wonder why we didn't think of this before. And, of course, the history of falconry goes back centuries. Uh, it's one of the great sports of the world for birds. Professional falconers have competed in competitions uh, around the globe. Uh, there are phenomenal falconers in the western part of the United States who hunt grouse and ducks and geese with falcons. Um, in the East Coast, and I hope maybe maybe someone in the mayor's office is listening this morning in Chicago. They usually do. So if you're listening, Mayor Lightfoot, or you uh, have some individuals in your administration listening, here's a bit of a solution for the pigeons and for the seagulls, which foul the beaches of Chicago the length of the whole length of Lake Michigan, up until you get beyond Milwaukee. Falcons. Individuals bring are hired by the day, and they arrive with falcons. And they release the falcons, and the next thing that happens is the seagulls and the pigeons just get out of Dodge. They fly, they hide, pigeons go and they, they, they literally just go and, and hide and seagulls simply fly out into the ocean because the falcons terrorize them. They're terrified. And what is, is happening is that seagulls here and certainly seagulls and pigeons in the Midwest have become so accustomed to humans that they know we provide food and and they literally just follow us around on the beaches. If you've been on Oak Street Beach or North Avenue Beach or down on some of the beaches around McCormick Place, gosh, you got seagulls and pigeons everywhere. Put a falcon in the air, and those birds are gone. So there's a possibility that despite all the methods we've used to try to get rid of seagulls and pigeons, from areas where humans congregate, at least during the hours they congregate, that the answer is falconry. 
and occasionally a falcon will take a bird. There's, there's no question. But watch the people standing along the Atlantic Ocean on boardwalks and on beaches when the falcons are released into the air. It's, it is a lesson in nature. I mean, people come with binoculars. They, it's, a, it's a huge tourist attraction because these fal- falcons play the air currents and they chase the birds. But the birds basically have learned when the falcons the seagulls and pigeons have learned when the falcons are around, they better not be. And then at the end of the day, the falcons are taken back. They drive home back to where they are kept. And the seagulls come in and they eat all the waste that's been left around by all the tourists and people using the beaches during the day. So the difference is they're not around when people are there in, in, in numbers that have become such a pest. And there's a recent case uh, outside of Boston where a baby is sitting in a baby carriage on a beach and a seagull swoops down and takes the hamburger right out of the young child's carriage and, and flies away with it. I mean, that's how bold they are. I have a personal story where a friend of mine had their nearly two-month-old grandchild sitting on the beach and they had a plastic cup and the plastic cup was filled with goldfish. How fit, how fitting that is. And a seagull came down and picked up the plastic cup, which was within a foot of this 19 month old little boy. And who was playing in the sand within a foot. And, and took the plastic cup and flew over to the rocks and ate the goldfish out of the plastic cup one by one. It, it, it happens. They become so accustomed to humans, and we talk about this a lot. Animals that, and birds that lose their fear of humans, when they do, that's when they become nuisance animals. In the case of bears, they can become, they can kill you. In the case of seagulls and pigeons, they just they just make a nuisance of themselves, and they they foul our water with with their residual matter, and it is something that that we have to learn to live with. But my point being, falcons may be the ticket, and it's not expensive. Maybe that's why the, it has not been thought of because it doesn't cost a lot of money to do this. In any event, I'll be back next week. I hope you've enjoyed a few tales from the coast of Maine. I May have a striper or two to catch yet today before I have to come back to the Midwest. I'll miss the smell of salt air. I'll miss the lobster traps. I'll miss the conversation until next summer. And I hope that you have the chance to come to the coast of Maine. It's a beautiful place. I hope you'll do it. Thanks for being with me this morning. I'll see you next Sunday morning on The Great Outdoors Show. This is Charlie Potter on WGN Radio, the outdoor voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN.